0: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, pairs it out down the field. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon joined by Chris Flum to for today's film breakdown episode after the Giants victory, their second straight win, a win over the Philadelphia Eagles. We had some time to look back at the film on Monday We have some very interesting takeaways. We're going to to discuss some key things that maybe you didn't notice during the game and a little bit deeper than some of the general headlines that came out of the second straight win for the Giants' third win of the season. Chris, the first thing I really want to address here is what appeared to be, after watching back this, this performance, the Eagles coming in and assuming they could do whatever they wanted to establish dominance. They, they, they came into this game thinking it was the same dysfunctional giants that they were over the past few years. They didn't have to put much effort in and they would somehow find a way to easily win this game. A little bit similar to how that things worked out the last time they played. Some of the things that really stood out to me was James Bradbury, their willingness to throw in his direction way more than some other teams do, and then a lot of off coverage uh, against Darius Slayton. That wasn't the case, though. They came out flat. They thought that they could just coast their way through this victory, but the Giants came out swinging.
2: Yeah, they did. It almost looked like the Eagles were still on their bye week. And granted, given the recent history in this rivalry, you could see how they could think that But honestly, they they did not look at all prepared to play this game, at least outside of their defensive line, which is a thing we'll get to. But there were a bunch of units all across the Eagles roster where they just looked flat. They did not look prepared. They did not play well. And they had a ton of penalties, miscues, mental mistakes, and they did almost as much to beat themselves as the Giants did to beat them.
1: Right, and that was the big thing that we had previously discussed on the Quick Take show. It felt like a lot of the issues that the Eagles were dealing with were them shooting themselves in the foot. But now if you take this this look deeper, they just look underprepared. They looked like they assumed that this was an easy coast win, that they are in the driver's seat for the NFC East. And because of it, because they're the best team in one of the worst divisions in the NFL, they could just walk over the Giants with their game plan. Another thing that also really blatantly stood out to me is how they paid such little attention to the Giants' run game. I We, we gave props to the Giants' offensive line for blocking really well on these rushing plays, and I don't want to take away from that. I don't want to detract from that, but... It was very clear they assumed with their base defense they could just stop this giant's rushing attack. And because of it, Jason Garrett put the, you know, the, the pedal to the floor and said, We are going to run the ball down your throat, up the middle, the entirety of this game, and it worked really well. They picked up a lot of really big rushing plays because of that. And that willingness by Jim Schwartz to just come out and play this really soft defensive game plan, I think, was the biggest reason why the Giants were able to do better than they typically do offensively.
2: Yeah. Now, I don't want to say they played a lot of light fronts because uh, NFL next-gen stats, with their player tracking, they they keep track of how many heavy fronts or eight-plus-man defenders in the box a running back sees. And Wayne Gallman actually saw eight defenders in the box on half of his runs. However, the Eagles linebackers were just not coming up to fill their gaps. They were not playing downhill, you know, almost all game long. It seemed like they were just kind of standing in one place at the second level. They weren't quite sure what to do at any one time. And Gallman hits the line of scrimmage so hard, so fast that he was through the hole before they could even think about coming up to fill it.
1: Yeah, exactly. All, all that stuff really helped this Giants offense in their performance. They ran the ball so effectively. And our one offensive point that we want to discuss today from watching the tape is a, a much better performance from Daniel Jones. And we wanted to break down why he might have had one of his best games of the season. So per pro football focus, he was the highest graded player yesterday for the Giants. He also had a tremendous day throwing with a clean pocket. He was 18 for 18 throwing with a clean pocket. So that's another thing too. They were the, the Eagles did not have an intent to attack Daniel Jones. They made very minimal effort to cause some serious disruption. They were trying to bank on their original four-man front to, to do a lot of that work. 18 passing attempts with a clean pocket is a lot of passing attempts to not be seeing pressure. So because he had a much cleaner day, he, he had less guys coming at him, he was able to be a little bit more relaxed. And on top of that, he was able to get the ball out a lot quicker than usual.
2: Yeah, and part of that is due to the Eagles' coverage calls. Like They were playing a lot of off coverages, a lot of soft coverages. Unfortunately, at the time we were recording this, the the NFL hasn't released the coaches' tape, the All-22 tape yet, so we can't actually say where the Eagles' safeties were. I'm confident they were on the field, but they did not show up on most of the TV angles. So they were very out of position to do much of anything. I can sort of understand the soft coverages after... The Giants burned them with the read option in the first game, and you want to be able to have your secondary in position to have their eyes in the backfield. But with playing against receivers like the Giants have, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, you know, giving those guys free releases, not doing anything to disrupt their routes, it, that just makes it way too easy.
1: Yeah, there was limited disruption, and we talked about, I mentioned very briefly earlier, There was a lot of off coverage. There was a lot of soft coverage, and that allowed for a lot of quick cuts by receivers, hitting a lot of really simple short routes. That was big. And I also noticed a willingness by Daniel Jones to hit that that first check down option before he chose to wait for things to develop downfield. Some of the biggest issues that we've dealt with with Daniel Jones and that has frustrated the hell out of us is watching Daniel Jones drop back sit in the pocket and wait too long for plays to develop downfield, them not developing and him getting hit or them developing, but because pressure's coming at him, he throws off platform leading to turnovers. Instead, he was hitting some guys that were running some swing routes, some, some quick outs, some, uh, some curls, slants, all the really quick short passes don't, that don't really take a lot of time to develop he was more willing to hit those things and that I think ultimately was the biggest reason why uh he was 18 18 for 18 with the clean pocket and he was also so efficient on the rest of his passing attempts Uh, yeah he was getting the
2: ball out very quickly and really incredibly quickly for him uh coming into this week he had he was one of the worst quarterbacks for holding on to the ball but this week Again, per next gen stats, his average time to throw was just over two point three seconds. That is really lightning quick, and I, I really do think a lot of the Eagles off and soft coverages helped that. They had you know really defined reads. Guys were getting open quickly. You know we haven't seen the Giants receivers create separation or have separation like we saw against the Eagles in a long time. So th- that made it really easy for Jones to get the ball out quickly, R- really get, get the ball out before the Eagles pressure could get there.
1: So Chris, I think the best way to wrap up discussing how well Daniel Jones played, why he played well, those various aspects of quicker, more efficient routes... You can also throw in there the run game really helping him because they were able to run the ball so well. There was significantly less pressure on him. I think that after this bye week, once they figure out what they want to do offensively because they're going to have the time to do that, they're going to have time to figure out the offensive line if they want to swap some guys in and out. I think the intent with the game plan for the remaining games, and like I said on the Quick Take show, There are games, despite them playing some difficult opponents, they have to play the Seahawks, they have to play the Cardinals, they have to play the Ravens, and they have to play the Browns. Out of those four teams, those are very good opponents. But what we've seen from them defensively, from the Giants defensively, they are capable of maybe shocking one of those teams, maybe two of them. And if they can do that, the best way, I think, for them to do that is the one thing that we've talked about a lot with Daniel Jones, is simplifying things offensively in terms of quick, short, underneath routes. You can have those deep passing concepts, but ingrain in Daniel Jones's head that you need to hit the short stuff first. Look for the first short stuff first before you look over the top to hit somebody deep. It's it's much better. This offense works much better if you hit Caden Smith or Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton or Austin Mack for a seven-yard gain than if you risk trying to go to somebody for a 40-yard gain and it doesn't pan out. That's what leads them to be behind schedule. That's what leads to sacks, interceptions, all of that stuff. They need to keep things simple. They need to rely more on the running game, which we've seen has been so effective. All of those things need to be so focused on during this bye week and in in figuring out the offensive identity for the remainder of the year.
2: Yeah, and that also does help with – putting the ball, putting the ball in safe positions where you know even if you're throwing it you know there's a difference between an on target throw and a precise throw in which you see the you know a precise throw that puts the ball where it only your guy can get it uh yeah if possible you're setting him up for yards after the catch you're either you're throwing it away from throwing it away from defensive backs and putting the ball in a position where you're doing your receivers favors. You could it's easier for them to catch. They don't have to try to dive for the ball, contort oddly, uh, try to jump out of the stadium to get the ball. You know, these quick these quick throws, these quick easy throws, those should be easier for him to place precisely. Yeah, you know, we did see a few times where the, Daniel Jones was helped by the Eagles being so far out of position in the secondary. There were probably two tri- two tip drills and one pass where he, he was under pressure and just threw badly. But the Eagles were really nowhere near where they should have been. Because if they were, they probably could have come down with those, and he could have had at least one interception. But thankfully, the Eagles were... Their defense was just so dysfunctional this game, everything except for their defensive line, that those passes were much safer than they have been in previous games.
1: Coming up, we are going to discuss three key defensive points before we get there, though. Folks, we have a short message from our show's sponsors.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Chris, defensively, this was another fantastic game, I believe, by Patrick Graham in terms of his play calling against this Eagles passing attack. Carson Wentz is a guy, if you allow him, to throw with a clean pocket and with simple zone concepts with limited coverage. If you leave a lot of guys open or, or you're not being aggressive in your coverage, he can pick you apart. And while their receiving group is coming together still, they have had injuries, they're young, he can still put up some pretty good statistics. That wasn't the case in this game. And what I think worked so well is seeing Patrick Graham daring Carson Wentz to throw the ball in contested situations. And it didn't work when he kept doing it. There were plays, a number of which, and mostly early in the game where I can recall them, where guys would come and sit in the middle of these zones, but the, the, the room for him to complete these passes were very tight. And Carson Wentz is a very aggressive thrower. He's willing to take risks. So Patrick Graham played to that, expecting him to take those risks. The Giants' secondary took advantage of this 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 um, this scheme, this approach defensively, and made some really good plays on the ball. Now they didn't have any big interceptions, but what was so effective was a ton of batted down passes, especially from James Brad- Bradbury, and there was one from. Um, um Logan Ryan as well in the first quarter so a lot of that stuff just worked really really well for this for this uh Giants defense and secondary
2: yeah that is just one thing Bradbury does so well is use his length to play receivers hands yeah you know, he plays the ball at the catch point he's not trying to tackle the receiver he's trying to deflect the ball make sure the catch doesn't get made and he does that just so so well he's also kind of developing a I noticed kind of a, a sneaky hand usage. You know, there was one play where he was running down the field with a receiver and the receiver was moving to make the catch and Bradbury got his hands on him in a way that if the refs had seen it probably would have drawn a flag. It either would have been holding or defensive pass interference. However, he did it in a way where the uh, the refs just could not see it. He, I believe he used the receiver's body to shield it from the refs. So that is just some very high level. They don't want to say maybe high level skullduggery, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I think what has made him such a good signing for the giants is the fact that, you know, he isn't a lockdown corner. He can be prone to drawing those flags because he can get aggressive with that hand usage. But his ability to knock the ball away, to deflect the ball, to close those passing windows when they look like they're open, that was just a stark contrast to what we saw from the Eagles' defense where they didn't play the Giants' receivers' hands at all. You know, They almost looked like they forgot it was legal for the Giants to catch the ball at times. That That did just so much for the Giants' defense.
1: Talk about a drastic difference in statistics per this box score here the Giants had six passes defended. That is a fantastic day. The Eagles, as you might guess, as you just pointed out, Chris, they had one. Carson Wentz only threw for 208 yards. And the the stark thing that stands out to me is he went 21 for 37. There were a lot of errant throws in this game by Carson Wentz. A lot of, of aggressive attempts to force the ball into tight coverage and it just did not work that was a very very well called game by Patrick Graham who continues I think to amaze us in his ability to make these really really good defensive game plans the other thing too that we really that really stood out to us before we talk about one thing that was a little bit tricky Dalvin Tomlinson and BJ Hill strong games for the both of them, a lot of penetration and a lot of pressure.
2: It really was, you know, it was looking back at the giant snap counts. It was, it's kind of disappointing that BJ Hill did not get more snaps than he did. I I believe he only got about 23 or 24 snaps on the game, but every time he was on the field, he was being disruptive. Uh, He had a sack. I believe he had a pass defense. He had a deflected pass. Uh, he was getting pressure, getting dis- getting penetration, making life just hell for whatever Eagle had to try to block him. And again, Dalvin Tomlinson just continues to be a steady and quietly great player for the Giants defense. He was getting push all game long. He was driving Kelsey back into the backfield, which is no easy feat. Yeah, I have to wonder if maybe his presence and how hard he was making Kelsey work contributed to all of those low snaps and just bad miscues from really one of the best centers in the league.
1: I honestly think that that was another thing too that connects with my point earlier that they assumed they'd be fine if they came out with a really bare game plan. They just assumed that they were going to be fine blocking this Giants defensive line, but they came ready. They came ready to play. They came to eat against a struggling O-line that has dealt with a number of injuries, especially Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill. The play that stood out to me that was one of the best plays I've seen from this this Giants defense this season was when the Eagles called a play-action pass the left side of their offensive line got blown up. Carson Wentz tries to roll out and Dalvin Tomlinson not only plays the run effectively, but as soon as he, like lightning quick, realized it wasn't a running play, he blew through ta- uh, through blockers and then disrupted the hell out of Carson Wentz, wrapping him up as he was trying to throw the ball away to a point where it was almost intentional grounding. That was a fantastic play by Dalvin Tomlinson, and this Giants defensive line continues to be the biggest bright spot for the group.
2: It really, it really is. And you know, I I have to take these opportunities to pat myself on the back a little bit. Back in back before the Giants drafted Dalvin Tomlinson, back I believe it was uh, 2016, he was just a guy, the nose tackle on a an absurdly talented Alabama defense. I put on the, put on their tape, watch their defensive line. And Ed will back me up on this. I sent him a message immediately saying that, holy crap, this guy is another Damon Harrison. He is snacks light. And that was a snacks play. You were talking about that is, that is the kind of play that Damon Harrison would make before you know, age and injuries started to catch up with him.
1: Yeah, I know every time that you get that chance to, you always have to to you know pat yourself on the back and take, take advantage of those opportunities while you can. But I think we all can agree here that Dalvin Tomlinson is a fantastic defensive lineman and they need to do whatever they can, pay him however much money he asks for and do whatever you can to get him to come back. But Chris, I, I just want to acknowledge... One thing that was a little bit tricky, and that it wasn't as good as as we would have hoped, the Giants' defense was coming into this game as the sixth-ranked team against the run, and they allowed over 150 yards rushing. They allowed Boston Scott to pick up um, the biggest run they allowed all season. They didn't have a very clean day, and you noted that it might have been because they weren't as aggressive in stopping the run. And they didn't use as many eight man boxes. Do you think that that was an issue or do you think that was more of an attempt to be aggressive in protecting against the pass? Like, do you think it's like a give and take where they allowed 150 yards rushing, but they said, we're so intent on stopping the pass that we're okay with it.
2: I think there's a little bit of column a, a little bit of column B. I think the Eagles did a better job run blocking than the giants thought they could, uh, I think getting Dallas Goddard back, getting Lane Johnson back, yeah, you know, th- that did help their run blocking because there were some instances where they just opened up the kinds of holes that we are not used to seeing against this defensive front. But also I do think you know that against Miles Sanders, who is probably the most efficient running back in the NFL right now, he picks up yards at a, almost scary clip, they did not field a single eight-man box. I think he might have been the only running back in the NFL to not see an eight-man box on Sunday. And I have to imagine, looking at the way Patrick Graham called the rest of the game, that that was intentional, that they wanted to keep their defensive backs, their linebackers, back and try to either disguise or clog their uh, either disguise or clog passing lanes and slow Wentz down as much as they could because Philly is getting healthier and they did get Alshon Jeffrey back. They got Jalen Rieger back. Travis Folkham continues to emerge. So they have a bunch of threats through the air, uh, getting Dallas Goddard back. Richard Rogers had made some plays as a receiver. So I think the Giants did make the conscious decision to try to take the pass away. And if Philly beat them on the ground, then they beat them on the ground.
1: I'm on the same page as you, Chris. I don't think it was 100% them saying, beat us on the ground, we're going to completely shut down your passing game. I think that they put more effort into slowing down the passing game, but they just didn't come as prepared. And they got a little bit gashed that they probably weren't expecting to going against this this Eagles rushing attack. Maybe they weren't expecting Miles Sanders to look as healthy as he did. Um, a lot of things come into play here. And I don't think it's the end of the world that they gave up 150 rushing yards. But at the same time, you need to play 100% a complete game if you want to beat really good opponents. Because eventually some of these other opponents, like when they play the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, who are two very good running teams, the Seattle Seahawks as well, these are two, three teams that are very good at running the football. You're, you can get very well killed not only by just their rushing game alone if you allow performances like that. like If you play the same way you did against those teams, you're going to allow a lot more than 150 rushing yards. And at the same time, they're good enough offensively that when they run the ball effectively, that opens up the remainder of their offense
2: yeah absolutely yeah the the giants only have one more game against the nfc east remaining that's dallas right at the end of the season and so far there has only been one victory outside of the nfc east by any nfc east team you know the giants are facing i a tough schedule coming up you know the cardinals are always dangerous they you don't want to say stole one from the bills but you know they had a they won on a phenomenal hail mary uh kyler murray is going to be a big problem for the nfl for a long time russell wilson is playing at an mvp level you know especially now that he's got targets to throw to the baltimore ravens they are always a dangerous team they are well built they're pretty complete the browns they don't have odell beckham he tore his acl but yeah you know, they are generally speaking, a pretty talented team across the board. So We're going to learn a a lot about the Giants coming out of the bye week.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a lot more to understand about this team, and I'm really excited to see how this team shifts and how things look differently. I'm hoping that some younger guys get pushed into the lineup, that we get to see guys like Austin Mack get some more reps coming out of this bye week. I want to see Matt Parrott as the starting right tackle after the bye week there's a lot of things that could happen this could be a completely different team coming out of this bye week it's coming at a good time you're winning two straight games and you need to use the the time now to settle yourself figure out any issues and pick up from the momentum that you have and try to finish this season strong and if if you don't finish at the top of the NFC East and end up in the playoffs, at the very least, carry momentum into next year, exactly like the Miami Dolphins did with Brian Flores. That's going to be it from us folks on today's show. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us, and also follow us on social media, at Joe DeLeon, at RaptorMKII, and also at View on Twitter and Instagram. Also head to BigBlueView.com. For more Giants news and analysis, this bye week, we are going to spend a ton of time filling you in on the NFL draft. What better time to do it when there's no games to fill you in on all of the amazing names that you need to know. It wasn't too long ago that this time last year, last bye week, we were talking about Andrew Thomas and how a lot of people were saying he was the top tackle in the draft. He wasn't the top tackle in the draft, but he still ended up being a New York Giant. So we'll see some of the names, some of the fun guys that we think that you should be aware of, some prospects that are under the radar for you, just all of the amazing things coming into the NFL draft. Stay tuned for the remainder of the week.